So, uh, but uh, I have this interesting sermon, and it's, it's this idea of worthy of praise. And we've all had those moments in life where, you know, maybe you're a student and you get an A on a test you didn't really study all that hard for, and you're like, praise the Lord. Or, you know, you get the courage up to ask that special somebody out on a date, and they say yes, and you're like, praise the Lord. Or if you're like me, and you're going around one morning, and you're like, where are my keys? Where are... And you look everywhere for your keys, and finally you find them, and you're like, praise the Lord, I can go to work and get there on time. Maybe you've had a, a kid or a grandkid, and you're just like, praise the Lord. We all have those moments. But what does it really mean to praise God? Praising God is simply expressing how wonderful and great we believe him to be. We can do that through words, we can do that through song, and one of my favorite ways is to really just sing. I have a, I have a heart for music, I am a self-taught guitar hack, um, but I, I love that. I love to sing, I love to and do those things. But what about in those moments in life when things aren't really going right? In the midst of hardships and trials, can we really still praise God in those moments? Well, this morning I want you guys to turn in your Bible, if you have one, to Job. So if you're in the Bible, you open up in the middle, you most likely fall open to Psalms. Just to the left of Psalms is Job. And when you start reading about Job's life, you find out really quick that Job is this, this upright man who fears God, he's turned away from evil, he's doing everything he can to follow God. Then in the next few verses, you begin to find out he's got seven sons and three daughters, and he is wealthy. In the world standards at that time, he's got sheep and he's got camels and he's got yoke of oxen and he's got female donkeys and you read about all these things and he's, he's got all these people that work for him and he's, he's doing all this. Job has it going on. To top that off, he's got a heart after God. When his kids get together and celebrate, whether it's birthdays or various feasts, afterwards, this Bible says that Job would get up the next morning early and offer, offer sacrifices on behalf of his kids. And just in case one of them may have sinned while celebrating. Now as you read on, you get this idea that Satan comes before God, and Satan and God have this exchange, and in the midst of it, Job is pointed out as being this God-fearing, blameless man. And Satan says, well, of course he is God. You've blessed him with so much stuff. You put your hand on him. Of course Job's gonna praise you. Everything in his life is going right. But Satan says, God, if you remove that, he would curse you in a heartbeat. So God says, you want to know what? I believe in Job. And just, God allows Satan to take everything Job has from him, as long as he doesn't touch Job himself. So this morning, we're going to pick it up. Job chapter 1, starting in verse 13, says this. Now, there was a day when his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And there came a messenger to Job and said, The oxen were plowing, and the donkeys were feeding beside them. And the Sabaeans fell upon them and took them and struck down your servants with the edge of the sword. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them. And I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, The Chaldeans formed three groups and made a raid on your camels and took them and struck down your servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was yet speaking, there came another and said, Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and behold, a great wind came 
from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house. And I fell upon the young people, and they are dead, and I alone have escaped to tell you. As you read that, you begin to realize all Job's stuff is gone. Everything he had, that cold that Aaron gave me, everything he had is gone. His children are gone. All but four of his servants are dead. But it's interesting how Job responds. Continuing on verse 20, it says this. Then Job arose and tore his robe and shaved his head and fell on the ground and worshipped. In the midst of all that, he fell on the ground and worshipped. Job says, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall return. The Lord gave and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In the midst of all that, Job utters this praise to God. Satan again appears before God and God's like, how about Job? And it says this, chapter two, starting at verse three. And the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job that there is none like him on all the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. He still holds fast his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without reason. God's like, my man, Job. Satan, still not happy, tells God, skin for skin. Job still blesses you because he's healthy. So God, God allows Satan to do whatever he wants to Job as long as he does not kill him. Now we could go into all these theological questions and, and ask why God allows this to happen and, and, and just begin to go, okay, what's going on here and how does this all work out? But I'm gonna leave that for Pastor Josiah. When he gets back, you can ask him all those questions. But for us, we're gonna continue on. Job chapter two, verse seven. So Satan goes out from the presence of the Lord and he struck Job with loathsome sores from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. And he took a piece of broken pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the ashes. Job is suffering. Suffering to the point where his wife even suggests that maybe he should just curl up and die. Verse nine, then his wife said to him, do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, you speak as one of the foolish women would speak. Shall we receive good from God and shall we not receive evil? And all this Job did not sin with his lips. See, Job and his wife, they're going through the same thing. See, often we look at this and we suggest that, just kind of shrug off Job's wife's comments. But remember, she has lost her children. The wealth that she was used to is gone. Her husband is suffering. See, there's two different responses here to the same situation. She's ready to and willing to just curse God and say, I'm done with all this. But Job is willing to praise God in the midst of everything that's going on. Continuing on, Job chapter 2, verse 11. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that had come upon him, they came each from their own place. Alphaz, the uh, Temanite, Bildad, the Shuhite, Zophar, the Namathite. They made an appointment together to, show, to come and show him sympathy and comfort. When they saw him from a different dif distance, they did not recognize him. 
And they raised their voices and wept, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads towards heaven. Then they sat with him on the ground seven days and seven nights, and no one spoke a word to him, for they saw that his suffering was very great. See, from this point we know that Job is suffering, yet in the next 36 chapters, his friends who showed up doing the right thing are going to begin to tell Job why this is happening, that Job must have sinned in some way, that Job that Job has upset God, that maybe Job got all his stuff by doing wrong to other people, that, and that's why this is happening. And in those next 36 verses, Job's going to tell them that they're wrong, that he's continually walked right before God and others. And in this process, Job will question God, Job will wonder why he's going through this, but Job will continue to put his hope and trust in God. And Job will express how wonderful and great God is. And, and Job knows that God is worthy of praise even when things aren't going the way that he planned them to go. So when you look at the big picture of the story of Job, what is it that we can learn? How is it that God could still be worthy of praise even when things aren't going the way we want them to? There's two things I want you guys to see in this. And the first is this. Praising God doesn't mean we forget what we're going through. See, there's 36 chapters of Job and his, his so-called friends kind of going back and forth about why Job is suffering and, and why it's all happening. Spoiler alert, all of them are wrong because God answers in the last few chapters. And Job realizes he doesn't need to understand the why behind it all. That God has a plan and that God has a purpose that are higher than his. But in all that, Job doesn't forget what he's going through and yet in the midst of it, he still praises God. Job is sitting in ashes with those, with those loathsome bore, uh, sores from his feet to his head. He knows that his children are gone. He knows that all his stuff is gone. And yet, in Job chapter 6, verse 10, Job chapter 6, verse 10, it says this, This would be my comfort. I would exalt in pain unsparing, for I have not denied the words of the Holy One. I really like how the Amplified Version puts this. It says this, then I, would have, or, then I would still have consolation, and I would jump for joy amidst pain unsparing. And I have not denied or hidden the words of the Holy One. Could you imagine in the midst of all that, with, with these sores on his body, Job in the midst of that's willing to, to jump for joy? He's willing to, even though he's going through all this stuff, to say, I'm willing to jump, I'm willing to praise, I'm willing to do whatever it is because I've not denied or hidden the words of God. Job's willing to praise in the midst of it. Job chapter 13, verse 15 says this, Though he slay me, yet I will hope in him. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. Yet I will argue my ways to his face. Such a great contradiction. Because when we have this hope and trust in God, it's okay, to, it's okay to question him. In the midst of those hard things, it's okay to go, God, why, why me? Why do I have to go through this? What thing am I supposed to be learning, God? What have I done to deserve this? But God, I still trust you that you have a plan through this. Amidst those things that are going wrong in our lives, if we're willing to put our hope and trust in God, we can question God. Job chapter 19, verse 25. 
for I know that my Redeemer lives. Job, in the midst of all this stuff, knows where his hope lies. In all of this, chapters 3 through 37, Job laments his situation. Job's so-called friends say horrible things about him. And Job corrects his friends' wrong thinking, but most importantly, Job trusts in God, even though he doesn't understand what's happening to him. Job holds on to his integrity, it says. Job maintains this internal consistency in his trust in God. The Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Though he slay me, I will hope in him. See, you can praise God in the midst of the stuff that's going on without forgetting what you're going through. The second thing I want you to see this morning is this. That praise allows us to invite God into our mess. This is an amazing thing. If you recall when Job's friends first showed up, they did the best thing that they could do. They simply sat with Job and said nothing. They just showed up. In the midst of our suffering, in the midst of those things not going as the way we had planned, in the midst of our grief, we can still praise God and he will come and sit with us. Much like Job's friends started out doing. Check this out. Psalm 22. Just a little bit forward in your Bible. Psalm 22 verse 3 says this. Yet you are holy enthroned on the praises of Israel. There's two words I want you guys to really kind of look at here. The first is the word Israel. And this is simply just God's people. People who are willing to put their trust in God. People who are willing to put their hope in him. Just as Job said that God is his redeemer, if we're willing to put our hope and trust in God, we are his people. The second word I want you to see is the Hebrew word yeshev. And here it's translated as enthroned. But this word means just to sit, to remain, to dwell in. So then when we begin to look at this phrase, God inhabits, God rests in, God sits upon, God dwells within the praise of his people. When you and I are willing to sing, when we're willing to speak out the ways that God is our redeemer, that he is holy, that he is mighty, that that he is ever present, that he's worthy of honor and glory, that, that everything we could ever want or imagine or do is him. When we're willing to do that, no matter the situation, God is there. His presence is known. He sits upon, he dwells within that praise. For me, this has been a part of the journey of my life for the last 14 months. Back in mid-April of 2022, my wife Joan started not feeling well. And being the stubborn person that she is, she waited about two weeks before going to the doctor. In May, she goes to the doctor and they give her some things to try and do and if nothing works out, come back a little later and you know, see if we can do something else. On May 10th, she went back into the doctor and they did an MRI and they found out she had stage four ovarian cancer that had metastasized. We'd go through the next couple of weeks and things had not got better on May 19th. I took her into the hospital because she wasn't doing well. On May 24th, 
we were told that chemotherapy would most likely turn days into hours. And so we decided on May 24th to put Joan into comfort care, into hospice. The next day at 4 or 15, she'd pass into glory. From the 10th from the diagnosis to the 25th when she passed was the longest and shortest days of my life. When we found out she had cancer, we cried and we prayed. And we said, God, why? And we said, God, we're gonna trust in you. On the days that she was in the hospital because of COVID rules, I couldn't stay overnight, so I would I'd be there at seven in the morning when they opened and let me in, and I was there until eight o'clock when they kicked me out. And the car ride back and forth was worship music going, God, I don't understand. But I'm gonna trust you. In her hospital room, I put up an iPad and just played music. It's like, God, we're gonna trust you through this. In each of those moments, in each of those things, God was just there. He never answered a why. He never said, you're gonna get through this. But he was just there. Since Jonah's gone to heaven, I haven't forgotten what happened. I haven't forgotten the pain or the grief. I haven't forgotten who God is though either. That he is mighty, that he is holy, and he's worthy. See, no matter the situation, no matter the circumstance, no matter what's happening in our life or the lives of those around us, God is still worthy of my praise. And I can tell you in doing that, his presence was there in ways I've never known before. And Job felt the same way. Job felt the presence of God in a way he had never known it before. See, because after all Job's questioning, after all he went through, after his friends doubted who he was and what he was doing, after they mischaracterized who God was, God shows up and answers Job. Job chapter 42, verse 5. Job has about a five-verse response, and in the middle of it he says this. I have heard of you by the hearing of ears, but now my eye sees you. See, Job knew of God before all this stuff happened. He had heard of the mighty works of God. He had heard of all the things that God had done. Job knew who God was. Job was willing to to do all these things, to have these sacrifices for his kids, to do all this stuff. Job knew who God was. But after this experience, Job says, I have seen you with my eyes. I have, I have experienced who God is. Job had seen God before, but now he had experienced him. How? Because Job never lost sight of who God was in the midst of it all. And he was willing to praise God in the midst of those things, and God came to dwell on that praise. So you and I, we can experience those same things by doing the very same things that Job did. See, King David, who writes most of the the Psalms, he writes at least half of them, is considered this man after God's own heart. 
And David is known for singing these praises about God, of doing these great things, of knowing God. Just look at the 23rd Psalm. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. See, David was this neglected shepherd boy. When Samuel, the prophet, came looking to anoint the new king, he came to David's house, his father's house. David had seven brothers, and they, his father puts all of them before him, before Samuel. And Samuel's like, not that one, 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 not that one. Is this all of them? Like, no, we got the, the runt, the other one. He's out watching the sheep, though. He wasn't worthy about bringing up. David was a fugitive from a murderous king. Time and time again, he dodged spears from the king. David was a father with rebellious children who broke his heart. David was a wartime king who had faced enemy after enemy. David was in exile at one point from his own people who sought to overthrow him as king. Yet, in all those things, David was willing to again and again put his faith in God and praise him in the midst of it. Psalm chapter 42 and Psalm chapter 43 is this, is this song that David sings. And in the midst of it, he's got these three verses that's almost like the, uh, like the uh, chorus of a song. Psalm 42 verse 5, Psalm 42 verse 11, and Psalm 43 verse 5. It says, why am I so discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? I will put my hope in God. I will praise him again, my Savior, my God. David made the choice to praise God because he knew that no matter what was going on, God was worthy of his praise. Job, amidst pain unsparing, said, God, you're worthy of praise. See, every Sunday after Joan passed, I'd, I'd come to church, I'd gather with fellow believers. And worship would play like it did this morning. And I would sit there and with tears streaming down my face, go, God, you are worthy of it all. I have seen the goodness of God. He's worthy of our praise. I'd be on my motorcycle and I'd have worship music playing and I'm sure people would see me going through town and go, that's different. Just so you know, I chopped like six inches off my beard this weekend. So if you can imagine that guy riding through town and there's, there's this worship music playing. When I was in my car driving to work, when I was on my way home, when I was just sitting at home, I'd have worship music playing and amidst it, I'm sitting there bawling. God never answered my questions, but he was there. God didn't make it easier, but he was there. See, if we're willing to put our faith and our trust in God, if we place our lives in his hand, then no matter the situation, we can praise him, and he will be there. There's so many songs that speak of this, some of them we sang even this morning, but there's an old hymn, It is well with my soul, 
I encourage you to look up the story of that author. But in it, he says, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to know. It is well, it is well with my soul. There's a song, Blessed Be Your Name. There's a song, The Joy of the Lord, just to name a few others. But there's a song that helped me kind of walk all this out. A friend sent it to me a few months after Joan had passed. And the first time I listened to it, I was busy doing other stuff. And I kind of, oh yeah, that's a great song, whatever. And a few weeks later, I was reminded of the song. I went back and I listened to it again. And it destroyed me. Like ugly cried, wrecked me. But at the same time, it began to help me. Help me to remind me that no matter what the situation is, God is worthy of my praise. That song is called Worthy of My Song by Phil Wickham, and in just a moment we're going to listen to it. But as you listen, I want you just to kind of, kind of wait. Listen to the words, because I don't know what's going on in any of your lives. I don't know what things have gone on in the past year. I don't know what things have gone on the last week. And I don't know what's ahead for any one of us. But I know this that if we remember who God is, if we're willing to praise him in the midst of all those hard things, God will be there, sitting in, dwelling upon, resting within our praise. So let me pray quickly and then we'll listen to this. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you're God who loves us and cares for us. And God, I pray that as we listen to this song, you begin to just move on us. Remind us of who you are and begin to strengthen us to know that you will be there no matter what. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and listen. Give you. 
attacked by that hospital bed You were worthy And she couldn't barely lift her head You were worthy After all those tears were shed You were worthy I'll never stop singing your praise No, I'll never stop singing your praise And in the blessing and the pain You are worthy Whether you say yes or no You are worthy And through it all I choose to say As the uh, worship team comes up to play, I just want to take a, a moment to encourage you guys that it doesn't matter what we're going through, that he's worthy. If you're one of the people that came up for prayer this morning, it doesn't matter what you're going through, he's worthy. Maybe you lost a job, maybe 
You have a kid who's going through something. God's worthy. As we take this time to reflect, I just, just begin to give God some worship. Begin to give him some praise. And I pray that as he does that, you begin to feel his presence. Because it doesn't matter why. And it doesn't matter what it is. He's worthy. Father, you are worthy. Lord, you're worthy of our praise. You're worthy of all that we are. And God, I pray for each one here today, Lord, that as they're here, no matter what the situation is going on in their lives, God, as they begin to offer you praise, God, that they would know that you are there. They would know your presence. And God, they could speak the words like Job did, that God, I knew you before this, but now I have seen you. I've experienced you. God, I pray that they would have your encouragement and your grace. God, that they would have your love. But God, I pray in the midst of that, they'd have the strength to praise you. In Jesus' name. In the Old Testament, uh, God gives this instruction to Moses that anytime he's with the assembly of the people to leave them with a blessing. So as we get ready to kind of go, and you can linger as long as you want, but I want to give you guys a blessing. May the Lord bless you 
and keep you. May his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord look upon each of you with favor and give you his eternal peace. Amen.